0: All right, get your Bibles out if you would, please. Go to 1 John chapter 3 is where we are. 1 John chapter 3, we've been looking at this passage the last couple of weeks, all the way to the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 3. You can also follow along on the screen here. I'm going to read it to you here this morning out of the message. It says this, my dear children, let's not just talk about love, let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism Even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, since that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out our hands and receive what we ask for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. Again, this is God's command to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him. and He lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit he gave us. I've been describing how in this verse, I think it's really interesting because I think it describes something that most of us are aware of. And that is there's all these different realities that are contending for our attention. There's the reality of what culture says. There's the reality of what your thoughts and emotions say. There's the reality of what your hormones say. There's reality what your friends and family say. There's even the reality of what the devil says. But as this passage describes, there's also the reality of what God says, which means then we have a choice. Every single day, every single moment, every single minute of of every single day, we have a choice, and that is by which reality are we going to live our lives by. Because we're going to live our life by some sort of reality that's contending. For all these different voices that are contending for our attention and our allegiance, we're going to fall in line with something. And so by whose reality then are you going to live your life by? We've been doing a series around here called We Believe. And what we're doing is that we're going through the Nicene Creed. And I have it up here on the screen. I want you to just say this here with me, if you would, please. Say this with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty... We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, worldwide, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So this is the Nicene Creed, and we've been talking about this, how the Nicene Creed was created as a result of the Roman Emperor Constantine convening a council in Nicaea in 325 AD. And the reason why he did that was to counter the widening rift and the heresies that were coming out and really threatening to destroy the Christian church during that time. Because back in the second and third centuries, There was this rise of heretical teachings and this humanistic philosophies that were infiltrating the church. And remember, the average person didn't have a Bible that they could go back and look at to see if what they were hearing and what they were being taught was actually biblically aligned. And so unknowingly, people were being swayed by these heretical teachings and this humanistic philosophies that was infiltrating the church. The Apostle Paul actually warns us about this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. The Apostle Paul warned us that that was a possibility. And actually, in the second and third century, this is exactly what was happening. People were being swayed by these heretical teachings and these humanistic philosophies. But out of the council there in Nicene, 325 A.D., came this Nicene Creed. And as a result, this, this biblically sounded, every one of these statements are biblically sounded statements. And they were are all intended to counter all these very specific heresies that were infiltrating the church. And as a result of this creed coming out, it had a major influence in, in turning the tide of all of this overwhelming deception that was, that was coming then into the church during that time. Because remember, again, people still didn't have a Bible. Even after this, they still didn't have a Bible. But at least they could come to church on Sunday and they pe- could recite and declare and proclaim this creed. And it helped them ground themselves then in biblical truths. I said this a couple of weeks ago that I think what's so interesting to me is even though we fast forward 1700 years later, now the average Christian owns 4.4 Bibles. That I think what's interesting is that we're still succumbing to the same trap of deception today. And maybe even more. This onslaught of deception has increased so much in our generation. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And so the thing we have to understand is that our counterfeits and deceptions all around us right now. You may not realize it. You may not see it. But it has increased heavily just, I know, in my lifetime there's been such an infiltration of this. So the question becomes, who are you listening to? It's really important to know what, it's, what are you listening to and, and, what, and what reality really are you embracing? What, what are you embracing? Because the only insurance against counterfeits is to really, really emerge yourself in truth. That's the only counterfeit to any sort of deception and, 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 and counterfeit. The more you surround yourself in truth, the more you're going to be able to discern than the counterfeit. And so I want you to look at this fourth section of the Nicene Creed. Again, it says, on the, third day, that is he, on the third day, he, that is Jesus, rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. What we're doing is we're breaking up this Nicene Creed. We've gone through the beginning parts of the Nicene Creed already, and here we are into the fourth section. Again, it says, on the third day, he, that is Jesus, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. What I want to do here this morning is break this into two large sections here and kind of dive. Dive into what Scripture says about this. The first phrase is this: On the third day, He arose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline the phrase "in accordance with the Scriptures." In accordance with the Scriptures. God has filled your Bible full of foret- a prophetic foretelling about the future. And I said this a couple of weeks ago that when the Bible was first written, every portion that was first written, the Bible when first written 27% of it was prophetic. which means that when it was first written, there was 27% of it that was still talking about things that were yet to come, things that weren't about right here and right now of teaching us how to stay steady and stable and and to live a life after Christ and to follow after God. But 27% of it was all talking about things that were yet to come, things that were still then in the future. But now over one half of all those prophecies have already been fulfilled. One half of all prophecies in Scripture have already been fulfilled. 300 of those prophecies dealt with Jesus' first coming. 300 of them dealt with Jesus' first coming. And every one of those 300 prophecies about Jesus' first coming were fulfilled. It's a remarkable thing when you think about Every one of those prophecies about the Messiah coming were fulfilled in Jesus. And this is really important for you to understand. Because when you think about Muhammad, Muhammad, he just showed up one day, And and put together a list of ideologies and a list of philosophies and then said, come on, come follow me. And it created this world religion that now exists. Same thing happened with Buddha and Hare Krishna and so many other different world religions that were created because they showed up on the scene and they created these ideologies, they created these philosophies, and then they convinced people to follow them. And as a result, these world religions were formed. Jesus is different. And you need to understand that. That's why, that's why Christianity is so different than anything else that, that, is, that is out there in, in the world. It's distinctive because Jesus didn't show up one day and then just create a list of things for us to follow, ideologies for us, a philosophy for, for us to follow. That's not what happened. Jesus came as a result of thousands and thousands of years of prophecies that foretold his coming. And he was the fulfillment of all of, those, all of those prophecies. And so one of the scriptures that foretold that Jesus would rise again on the third day is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. It says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. One of the absolutes of scriptures is that Jesus rose from the dead it's one of those non-negotiables about christian our christian faith because without the resurrection then there's no hope to your faith if there is no resurrection then all that we're doing here on a sunday morning is we're gathering together and we sing a few songs and we get to connect with each other and we get to hear a few little things that hopefully makes you feel a little bit better but the essence without the resurrection this is just a club that's all this is But since the grave is empty, it points to the fact that what you're experiencing right now is not all there is. These 70 to 80 years that you have here on earth, that's not all that there is. It's really important for you to know that you're not a human being trying to have a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being, and this is just simply a temporary human experience that you are having. And so the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day points to this reality. There's more to your life than just right here and right now. There's a bigger picture involved with what God is doing, and always remember that. One of the things that I think people struggle so often is, God, where are you in the midst of right now? We struggle trying to understand, God, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on here in the world? And you always have to understand, God's looking from the picture of eternity, God's looking from the picture of eternity because this goes by this fast, right? But the decisions that we make right here in this blink of an eye affect all eternity. And that's why God's trying to deal with the most important aspects of our lives. And that's the eternal aspect there. And so this declaration that he was raised from the dead on the third day, it points to this reality. And it points to the fact that something was foretold in scripture about this. This is bigger than you and for me. Here's another one, the scripture that foretold that Jesus would ascend into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. We see that in Psalms chapter 16, starting in verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay." You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. What the scripture is doing is pointing to the day that the Messiah would come and he would die. But he would be resurrected and ascend into heaven and would be seated at the right hand of the Father. This was a scripture that was foretold centuries earlier, thousands of years earlier, before Jesus even arrived on the scene. But Jesus fulfilled every one of those things. It was something that was foretold, and Jesus stepped into it and fulfilled it. So this declaration, on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. What it's doing, it's reinforcing it for us is that Jesus is the fulfillment of thousands of years of prophecy, and then it grounds us in a reality that's bigger than just what we're experiencing right here and right now. When we make that declaration, that's what's happening. That's what we're declaring here. Now look at the second phrase in the Nicene Creed. It says, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Now if you have a Bible, go over to Matthew chapter 24, and I want to show you something here this morning. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 3. It says, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it'll be in those days for a pregnant woman and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter in the, or in the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with a power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that is near right at the, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, this is just one of many specific prophecies in the Bible that deal with the end times and the second coming of Jesus. Actually, there's 2,500 different prophecies in the Bible that deal with the end times and with Jesus's second coming. And so let me put that in perspective for you here just a little bit, because earlier I mentioned that there are 300 specific prophecies about Jesus's first coming. And what I said is that Jesus fulfilled every one of those 300 prophecies about his first coming. I love how Josh McDowell describes the probability of one person fulfilling these 300 prophecies. Listen to what he writes. He says, Peter Stoner, a mathematician, calculated the mathematical odds of fulfilling just eight of the 300 prophecies. Peter writes, We find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. To understand the staggering probability, suppose you would take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. The silver dollars would cover all of the state two feet deep. Now, mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Next, blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. Now, what chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man. Isn't that amazing? But not only did Jesus fulfill eight of those 300 prophecies, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. And so when you think about all the prophecies that have already been fulfilled within Scripture, that should compel us just a little bit, I would think, that should compel us to give more attention to those 2,500 prophecies about the end times and Jesus' second return. And here's the interesting thing I think it's important for us to understand, and that is many of these 2,500 prophecies about the end times and Jesus' second coming are already happening in our generation. Did you hear me? Many of these prophecies are already happening in our generation. Actually, there's been more prophecies that have been fulfilled in our lifetime than in any other generation that has existed That should be really interesting for all of us. Even at the time when Jesus was born, comparatively speaking, in our lifetime, in your lifetime, in my lifetime, there's more prophecies that have been fulfilled in our generation than in any other generation that's ever, ever existed. Things that were prophesied 2,600 years ago are being fulfilled right now in our generation. Look again in Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 32. It says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to underline the words fig tree. Fig tree. Because in Scripture, the fig tree that Jesus is talking about is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And so what Jesus is describing here is that when you see the rebirthing happening of this fig tree, or when you see the rebirth of Israel, then know that this generation will not pass until they see the second coming of Jesus. So the question then is, all right, so has the rebirth of Israel already taken place? Well, the answer is yes. In 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn. After 2011 years where where Israel ceased to exist, in 1948, the nation of Israel was reborn. And so then the question, second question then becomes, well, then how long is a generation? (laughs) If these things are connected, the rebirth of Israel and the second coming of Jesus, well, then how long is a generation? Well, in Psalms chapter 90, verse 10, it says, The length of our days is is 70 or 80 if we have strength. And so the Bible describes that that the length of a typical lifetime or a natural generation is 70 to 80 years. And so an interpretation of this scripture could mean that people who were alive in 1948 will be a part of the generation who will then see the return of Jesus Christ. Are you awake this morning? Do I have your attention yet? These are things that are happening in our lifetime, in our generation, that are unfolding exactly how how Scripture describes, which means we could be in the final generation before Jesus returns. Many of you here may still be alive when Jesus returns. And not only is the fig tree one of these signs, there's a whole bunch in Scripture. Let's look at one more. Look at this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. It says that Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Christ and will deceive many. Verse 10. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. Now, notice what's happened here. Because the disciples, they're asking Jesus, okay, Jesus, when is this going to happen? You've been talking about all this stuff. So when is it actually going to happen? And Jesus says, and Jesus said, the first thing that he says is, "Watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out that no one deceives you." And then he goes on to warn them that the last days, immediately preceding the return of of his return, that that this world will be consumed and characterized by the greatest deception this world has ever seen. He describes, as we get closer, one of the greatest things that's going to happen is there's going to be a worldwide deception, the spiritual deception that will overcome the entire world. And he said it's going to be so seductive, he used these words, that it will mislead, if possible, even the elect. I mean, think about that. How can there be such a spiritual deception, a religious deception, that's so great that it could actually deceive the elect those who are saved those who are solid in their faith can actually be deceived by this. I think about this, this is of my own lifetime. 50 years ago, the possibility of a global religious system that all people could agree to and rally behind. 50 years ago, that was absolutely impossible. I mean, just in the Christian church, we had Catholics and Lutherans and Baptists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians and Nazarenes and Methodists who couldn't get along with each other. We couldn't get people in the body of Christ to come together 50 years ago, let alone trying to get Christians together with Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and, and Hare Krishnas and all sorts of thousands of other religions that are all around the world. 50 years ago, it would have been impossible to do that. But now jump forward 50 years to our time today. I have a video I want you to watch here. Watch this clip. The Global Peace Festival has been bringing a new message of peace to people all over the world. From Asia to Africa, from Europe to the Americas, from the Middle East to the Far East. The Global Peace Festival is grassroots moving around the world and changing people's lives one person at a time, all under the umbrella of one family under God. We are developing a new generation who would say no to violence, who would say no to injustice. A family under on one God, regardless of what God's we really interpret it to be, and that itself bring tranquility and peace. The GPF comprises three main elements it considers essential for peace. The first of these is service. We want people to understand the value and importance of service, to put all of our differences aside and really realize that we all come from one creator. The second is the importance of family. It starts at the foundation of the family. If the family is not strong, then nothing else will be. And the third element is interfaith cooperation. Religion's principal purpose is to advocate brotherhood of men. And if you are brothers, you don't fight against each other. You have to live in peace. I can turn to my Jewish neighbor. I can turn to my Muslim brother and say, we need to bind together and move forward and our world can really come together as one family under God. Doors will open and relationships will grow like you never thought could happen because it's all under the spirit of love. It's all under saying we can have peace in our neighborhoods and peace in our families and peace in our communities. And when people see that, there's just so much to do and so much that is needed that everyone needs to jump on board and be a part of this. We stand on hallowed ground where the past and the present can come together as one and a greater tomorrow can begin. The time has come to tear down those man made walls, the walls of race, culture, religion, and country, and establish the peaceful ideal world of God's cherished hope and desire. Let us Own the dream to create one family under God and become the owners that can usher in a new age of global peace. Thank you very much. May God bless you and your families and this great nation. That's just a little bit, obviously, from that video. And you know what's interesting to me, you know, watching this, is that I'm sure there's a whole bunch in there that you're you're nodding your head and saying, yeah, we need that. But we need to watch everything that's happening. Because the more we're surrounded with a lack of peace in our world, and you understand that's one of the causes that's going to rally people together. When there's a lack of peace, then we're going to, we saw it with 9-11, we're going to sacrifice a lot of what we believe in order to feel safe. And so you know what he's talking, so when they're talking about coming together so that we can create peace in our world, and we'll do it by service, we'll do it by family, and by, by being under God, we can rally behind those three things, but I don't know if you caught it all the time, but every time it describes God, it's describing God as whatever God you choose. We are all God's children, no matter what you believe and no matter what your belief system, no matter what your religion is. And this has become now the dominant message that's coming in our generation. It is everywhere. Out of this conference came this edict called the global ethic. And it says, we affirm that a common set of core values is found in the teachings of the religions and that these form the basis of global ethic. There already exist ancient guidelines for human behavior, which are found in the teachings of the religions of the world and which are the conditions for a sustainable world order. We must sink our narrow differences for the cause of the world community, practicing a culture of solidarity and relatedness. Listen, folks, you you need to open your ears to understand this is the movement that the Bible describes that will form the one world religion. And Jesus described that this will take place, that this is, this is what is happening, and it will, it will take place. But I want you to listen how this flies in the face of how, what Jesus actually described for us as, as, as Christ followers. In Luke chapter 12, verse 51, it says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. And John 15, 18, and 19 says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And then John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, what Jesus was teaching is completely, it flies in the face of what we are now hearing worldwide. And this is, this is really interesting to me be, because the predominant thing that's being taught and being said and, and being even propagandized is that, that all of these beliefs, all of these gods are the same. And it doesn't matter which you choose. Just choose something and come under that because there's all these many ways to come to God. But look at, you see what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am a way to life or a way to... He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Many of you know that I was pastoring up in Wisconsin for um, the last 14 years. And and we had a ministerial association that would gather uh, monthly in in our city. And it was all um, Christian pastors and priests that were there. And it was actually a a very great functioning um, kind of partnership that happened within the city. There was a lot of incredible things that happened within probably the first 10 years that I was pastoring in there. But something happened um, that completely changed the whole tide of what was going on. One, um, many of the pastors kind of go in and out. And so there was a big changing of the guard that happened about the 10th year that I was in there. And I was the only one that had been there that long. Everybody else was new. Um, the Methodist Church tends to rotate people and Presbyterian and Catholic. And there's a lot of rotation that happens in a lot of denominations. And, and the new regime of, of pastors and leaders um, had a completely different sense of this togetherness. And another thing factor that happened in that was that um, uh, a, a Muslim um, mosque was established and built within the city as well that was drawing people from all over the region to this. And we would get this email every single month inviting us to this the place where the pastoral association meeting was going to be and just give details. Well this one time I get this email and I noticed that in the email feed it lists the name of the Oman the leader of the 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 Muslims there in the area. He was attached to this email list all the people that were invited. And I thought, did I miss something? (laughs) Did we make a decision as the pastors of the cities to start um, inviting? Um, the leaders from other uh, religions and other, other places? Did, that, did that, was that, was that a decision? And I thought, well, maybe I missed something here. And so I went to the next ministerial association meeting, didn't know, didn't really know who was going to be there, thinking maybe the Oman was going to be there and other people from other the Buddhists and, and, and the Wiccans were going to be there as well. And there wasn't anybody there. And so I took the opportunity to ask the people who were leading, the pastors that, that was in charge there, did I miss something? Was the decision made that we're going to invite other leaders from other religions to be a part of this Christian uh, ministerial association meeting. Because I said, you know, I've been here the longest, and this has always been a Christian pastors association where we did everything under the name of Jesus, whether it's service or social or I had, I had gone around and I had preached in every church in our city, um, whether it was Catholic or Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist. I had preached in every one over the, over the years. We'd kind of done this pulpit swap. So there was a, a, real, a real thing that was happening in our, in our city. And I said, this was not how it was established. Did I miss a meeting? Did we decide we're going to open this up to everybody else? And it, I'll never forget this in the process of trying to understand this because Because what I didn't already know is that there were many of the pastors, probably half of the pastors that were in there had already met with the Oman and and the leadership of the mosque and they were already doing services together. They'd already done combined events together in in the city. And I didn't didn't even realize I didn't even know that. And so in the conversation, I turned to the Methodist pastor and I said, help me understand this. I I don't understand. I said, you stand on the pulpit in a Methodist church and you're teaching that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But yet you are embracing um, Islam teachings and you're you're partnering and doing things together with people that don't believe the same thing you do. I said, help me under, I, I, truly, I wanted to understand, help me understand how you can do that. And I'll never forget this. She said, she said, well, my preference is Methodism. My preference is to be Methodist. And my preference is that I'm gonna teach people the way of what Methodists believe, because that is my preference. But your preference may be different and your preference may be different. And I thought, boy, has the world changed. And it was right there that I began to realize the subtlety that was changing in our generation. It was happening i mean i wasn 't even aware of it in my own city i wasn 't aware of what was going on, but this message of coexist and you 'll see it now everywhere, bumper stickers and all sorts of and all sorts of advertisements, this idea of coexistence. Let's come together. We're all one. We are the same. No matter what you believe, no matter what God you choose, we are all still the same. You need to understand that this is what Jesus was talking about. He was describing over 2,000 years ago this, this religious deception, and he describes this is going to be one of the major signs of his second coming, and it's right here. We're seeing it so much in our generation, it's happening right before our eyes. And so this declaration, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. What it's doing, it reinforces the fact, Jesus is coming back, folks. Jesus is coming back, and it's getting closer and closer and closer. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, it says, "No, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had, had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him." One of the absolutes of Christianity and what we believe is that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And so the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Because when you start looking at the prophecies that foretold, the end times and the second coming of Jesus, there are more of those prophecies that are happening right now in your lifetime than in any other generation. It's happening. So the question is, are you ready? how do you answer that question? How do you answer? Am I, am I ready or not? In John chapter eight, verse 31, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me describe what that word hold to means in the original language. It means to continue, to submit to, to abide in, To let your mental, physical, and spiritual life be governed by and to remain in. Think about what Jesus is saying. So Jesus wasn't just saying, if you just have an affinity for me. He didn't just say, if you have just a preference for me. He didn't say, if you just come to church. He doesn't say, if you just call yourself a Christian, then you'll be my disciple." That's not what he says. You see what he says? He says, if you will hold to, if you'll continue to, if you submit to if you abide in, if you let your mental, physical, and spiritual life be governed by, and if you remain in my teachings, then Jesus said, if you'll do that, that's when you'll know you'll be my disciples. And as a result, and only then will you know the truth. And that's when the truth will be able to set you free. Are you ready? I want to ask you to just close your eyes here this morning. I'm very aware that maybe you <laughs> didn't come to church thinking this would be the message that would be talked about here this morning, but maybe something's happening right now in your own heart. Maybe something is stirring inside of you right now. And maybe for you, uh, Jesus has just been this church thing. It's just been something that you've kind of added it to your life. But this idea of holding to, continuing to, submitting to, abiding in, remaining in, letting your life be governed by, that that's not really something that you have done. But maybe this morning, something's going on inside of you that's waking you up. And all of a sudden, this Jesus is becoming clearer and clearer. Maybe for you, Jesus has just been a church thing, a club thing. But maybe for you, as we talk about all this, as we talk about through this Nicene Creed, that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead, that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended into heaven and that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. All things that were prophesied, over and over and over and we're actually fulfilled. Maybe this is just settling some of the questions in your heart. And so I just, I don't want to just lead all of us in prayer here this morning. Whether you know that you're ready, Whether you know that you're holding on to and abiding and that this is so secure for you, it's the foundation for your life, it's it's how you're living your life, you realize that you're not just a human being trying to have a spiritual experience, but you really get it that you're a spiritual being. And this is just a temporary human experience that you're having. Whether that's you or whether none of this has made sense till this moment, I wanna just lead all of us here In praying. And I'm just asking you right where you are just to say this, just kind of repeat this after me. Say this out loud. Say, God, say it out loud. Say, God, I confess my need for you. I realize that I cannot be good enough for you. I realize that I'm a sinner. And the effect of those sins means that I will be eternally separated from you. But Jesus, you said that you're the way, the truth, the life, and no one can come to God except through you. And so today, I choose you. I choose you. And I let go of all other ways of trying to get to God. I let go of all those other ways and I want that free gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus. God, you said that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So today, I'm calling on the name of Jesus. I turn over the steering wheel of my life to Jesus and I surrender and I commit my life to Jesus. God, I ask that you would be the driver in my life. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins, to take my place and I believe that you raised him from the dead and so now I'm asking that you'd raise me up, that you would fill me up with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help me to hold on to the teachings of Jesus. Help me to not be deceived by what's happening all around me. Let your truth reign in my life. In Jesus' name.